Welcome to PTBC Podcast, where we will be speaking about innovation, technology, growing your business, and maximizing your entrepreneurial potential. Let's get down to business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the PTBC Podcast. This is Slava, and I'm joined by Sarush. Hey, everyone. So today we have the amazing uh, Courtney Beam with us. So Courtney is the director of the client services at VHA Home Healthcare and VHA Rehab Solutions. So it's a company providing home care services across the province of Ontario. Courtney is also a fellow graduate of U of T uh, with degrees from microbiology and faculty of medicine and physiotherapy. He has a doctor of medical therapy from Ola Grimsby Institute in California. And um, overall, he's just an amazing person. <laughs> uh, to get a full list of uh, VHA home health care services, visit www.vha.ca. All right, it's time to get down to business. Courtney, how are you doing today? Great, great. Thank you. Thank you both for inviting me to join the podcast today. Courtney, so first and foremost, could you tell us a little bit about your journey up until this point? Yeah, definitely. So, um, so as you mentioned before, um, you know, I am a graduate uh, of the University of Toronto. My first degree was in microbiology, followed by a year of research in clinical biochemistry, which made me realize that research in clinical biochemistry wasn't the way to go. And from there, um, I uh, started the PT program at UT. When I graduated, um, I worked in Ontario for a couple of years before actually taking a neuro position in Hawaii. And um, I moved to the Big Island, the, in the town Hilo, um, providing senior care and, and, um, and uh, neuro care. So we've seen a lot of uh, post-stroke clients. Um, after probably the first six or eight months of doing that, I also took on a little home care job on the side where I'd have a small caseload of a couple clients or so that I would see um, after work um, in a home care setting. Mm-hmm. So, so I did that. And then I did I also actually started doing some private work in home care. So sometimes when Medicare would run out and for those who could afford and wanted more services, then they would hire me privately. So from there, I then moved to California where I worked at Kaiser Permanente in outpatient orthopedic environment. And it was at Kaiser where I had my kind of my growth from the clinical side to the administrative leadership side. So I started off as a frontline orthopedic um, PT, um, then progressed to a coordinator, whereby I was about maybe a 70-30 split, 70% clinical care and 30% um, being administrative work. Mm-hmm. Then I moved on to being a chief of rehab, and as a chief of rehab, um, it was more of a 90, 95% admin work and about a 5%. I had, I kept a small case though, just keep my, 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 I, I love clinical care. So just to be able to see the odd few, uh, patients, um, I kept a small clinical role as well. So I was in California for about seven years, a little over seven years before moving back to Toronto. Um, when I moved back to Toronto, I started looking around for opportunities here. Well, I finished off some work remotely in California, and that led me to a position as a manager at Coda Health. So Coda Health was a 
um, well, still is, and now called CODA Inspires, but CODA Health was an organization started by five occupational therapists and was an OT-only organization until the 90s, and then sometime in the 90s, they incorporated in PT and social work and technology and nutrition services, and um, uh, I came in <laughs> um, for, uh, as a manager overseeing um, some of the regions where they, they provide home care. In 2009, the rehab division of Coda Health was bought out by VHA Home Health Care. So in that integration, all of that rehab portfolio within the organization, which is really about 90% of that organization, um, um, was, was, was integrated into VHA Home Health Care, which started VHA Rehab Solutions. Um, when I started at VHA in 2009, I was the director of rehab services rehab portfolio with the five rehab disciplines across seven of the 14 rooms in Ontario. Mm -hmm. um, and within a couple of years, I then also incorporated the nursing portfolio, also the personal support portfolio um, as the director of client services. So kind of overseeing all of the care that we provide um, from nursing, personal support, and the five rehab disciplines, primarily in the home care sector. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a very interesting journey, and I haven't. I don't think we know too many people that did this kind of jump in between Canada to the states and coming back. I mean, not that we've met yet, but um, it seems like an interesting journey that really does teach you a lot. So, uh, sounds amazing that you've had a variety of experiences in the public side um, of healthcare as well. Um, now, I'm just wondering. Uh, what was the reason, what was your decision-making when you decided to actually go towards public um, healthcare rather than being more uh, private practice, the traditional clinical route that, you know, a lot of people would take? I know that right now there's still um, a good amount of people that do go to the hospitals and the public healthcare, but just want to get your perspective on your transition into the public healthcare system. Yeah, and, and, you know, I'd, I'd say to some degree I fell into it. My first job here in Ontario was in the private sector. So it was a couple months in outpatient orthopedic clinic, you know, pri private clinic. Um, because I then went into neuro, and there aren't as many private opportunities in neuro, or there weren't then. We're talking, this is like 20 years ago, there weren't as many opportunities. Um, I knew of one private neuro clinic at that time, and a lot of the neuro work was being done through, through the public sector. When I went to the U.S., you know, U.S. healthcare is just so is is just so different um, that it you know it's a cross between private and um, and public um, in terms of how some of the services are paid for. Um, but because of the fact that neuro um, is so often done to the public sector, I think that was my first driver. When I moved into orthopedics in the U.S., it was through a health management organization, an HMO, which is more on the private side. People pay into their membership through part of an HMO. Mm -hmm. um, we, we, and, and once again, that's it's a little bit of a cross between a public and a private. Private because they're being paid. I mean, they're being they're paying into it. The organizations that they work for are paying into it. But it has very much of a public feel in terms of how they run their facilities. When I when I moved back to Toronto, um, you know, I would say it was it was by chance 
that I entered into a not-for-profit um, that provides most of its most of its services through the public sector. So we are not 100% directly uh, public sector in the sense that you know uh, we don't have to list our, our salaries on on the sunshine list. We're not directly funded by the ministry, but 95% of our contracts are through the public sector. And as a not-for-profit, which in the past has been the way the um, the ministry has liked to work, is through the not-for-profit kind of sector. We are, we are very um, we run very similar to public sector organizations. So we're not like a hospital, but we're very similar in terms of how we have to look at our dollars. But we aren't held to the same stringent constraints that 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 that, that they are. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, you mentioned that VHA is a non-for-profit. Uh, can you describe what uh, VHA Home Healthcare is all about, just briefly? Yeah, so VHA Home Healthcare, the organization itself started over 90 years ago, and it started off um, with a very, by a nurse who was looking at how can they assist um, uh, women, for the most part, with young children with disabilities, things along those lines, and it really started as a community support kind of organization, and um, and um, has a lot of its roots. We're one of the first organizations that were part of United Way Toronto, for example, and still have a close connection to that United Way piece. The reality is, you look at the size of your organization, that community support piece is about, I would say, two or three percent of the organization. Um, um, the bulk of our work is work that is provided to us to be provided in home, retirement home um, setting, some clinic settings um, that are used to come from the community care access centers, which now have been absorbed into local health integration networks, which are directly funded by the ministry. So, um, as a not-for-profit, you know the reinvestment of dollars are back into the organization. Um, so unlike some of the private organizations who also have contracts to provide similar work where dollars are made to go to shareholders things along those lines or to board members things along those lines, for us it is a reinvestment of those dollars back into the organization. Mm -hmm. Sounds like an amazing company, an amazing journey that you guys have had. Um, now, I also want to learn about maybe one of the biggest challenges you've had so far working in the public side of physio and how you've been able to get past this point. Yeah, so so one of the biggest challenges I think in the public, so I may have to combine two together actually a little bit, but, but one of the challenges really relates to um, that exists within the public sector. So, so for changes to occur, for things to happen, it takes forever, so it's very, very slow-moving change. And change, which you hope is for quality improvements, for great outcomes, things along those lines, um, aren't always driven by what, what, what the purity of quality, but often driven by um, by political <laughs> political reasons or or dollars and cents more than truly quality for example we have a we have an entire department that looks at quality best practice research and education and a lot of the work they do around quality 
relates to how we get measured by our funders versus true quality that is showing we're doing the greatest work for our clients and patients. So, um, so, so that's one of the challenges is that you know we're driven by by sometimes some wrong metrics being in 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 the public sector, whereby you may not you know if you're running your own clinic and it's a private clinic, you might set your your quality standards based on what's truly important to those people who are impacted, which could be your staff, it could be your patients, a combination of both. It could be your stakeholders, your your funders, and things along those lines, but you will drive more of that independently. And then, when sometimes when you get the results of some great work, I, I can think of several projects that I've been involved in, um, whereby you get some great results that show some great benefits, and then the dollars and cents comes into play, and it gets completely negated. And it's one of the biggest challenges on the physio side um, in terms of um, uh, public-driven home care is that um, it's easier to look at, you know, short, short-term short assistance, like throwing in personal support, for example, to help somebody stay at home versus the long-term investment of having physio in, making that client stronger, better, and then in the end, not needing personal support in the end, and it being an overall dollar savings they have a hard time wrapping their mind around that kind of long-term benefit. And, and it's unfortunate, um, and, but it's the way that things need to change for the future um, based on how things are moving in healthcare. Yeah, you made a really good point about the politics that are also involved with this. I mean, it's really, especially at the public level, I feel like it, it's hard to kind of not consider that as a factor in you know, how things are run as well. And I know, you know, even outside physio, I know, like, for example, I know a lot of people who are in um, public health, um, like fields and different jobs uh, within the public health sector themselves. And, you know, they've also said pretty much the same thing. Sometimes, you know, the metrics that, the political metrics, I guess, that are in place are not in line with the metrics that the company might want to use to progress things forward. But I guess that's one of the challenges that, you know, our industry needs to work on as well to get around this um, as best as we can to make sure that the metrics that we're looking at are, is what's actually driving things forward, right? Yeah. And, and you know, and so one thing I didn't discuss before, so I am a director on the board of directors of the Ontario Physio Association. And so in kind of setting the direction for the future for physio, looking at the next five years, we we've decided to take a longer time to set metrics that are truly evaluating um, greater benefit and greater, like are we truly meeting the strategic direction we want to move in versus just saying that meeting this at 50% means that we've, we, we, yeah, we'll, we've met a goal. Are we truly meeting it for what the end purpose is supposed to be? And, you know, it, 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 it's a challenge. You know, we are so driven by politics um, because of how the dollars come. So being in Ontario, where we've had a recent election, where there hasn't been a lot of direction around how money will be spent, but knowing that it's a political party that believes strongly in the, public, in the private sector, we know that we need to reframe some of our thinking. So from a, from a board perspective, from a physio perspective, 
you know, we want to make sure that anyone and everyone who needs physio has access to physio through funded dollars. We realize we're now in a political environment where funded dollars may not exist. It's not the, the, the priority of our of our, our current health administration um, based on a kind of conservative direction. So really it is by, by whatever means that people have access, but it may not only be publicly funded dollars. Um, from, from a VHA perspective, where we came out of a climate for several years where um, the not-for-profit world was seen as the creme de la creme from a Ministry of Health perspective, because the feeling is that you're reinvesting dollars, you're not making money to make this huge profit to give to your shareholders. Um, we now have an administration that feels differently about the private sector, and any organization needs to be prepared for what does that mean in terms of competition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, you bring up a very good point that um, we need to make sure that our public health care dollars are going into where the patients need them to go in to solve those needs and make sure that they we ensure long-term uh, health for them. Yeah. And this is a perfect segue into the next part of our podcast where we just wanted to find out some of your opinions about the state of physiotherapy in healthcare, maybe some of the future directions that we should take to improve it to a way that our goals do match where the services are provided. Uh, we spoke to Alan McDonald uh, briefly about this topic on one of our podcasts as well. Um, and he also mentioned that you would be well positioned to, uh, to discuss this topic. So Courtney, we were wondering, what do you think are the three major, um, changes the industry of physiotherapy will undergo in the next 10 years? Yeah. So I, so I think it's a great question. I think it's a really important question. I think it's, you know, that all of us as physios need to have our mind wrapped around that 10 year mark because things are going to change. And I think from a, so I must first look at it from a private sector, even, even though I, I have one more experience from the public sector, from a, from a private sector, the private um, physio world has often run very distinct and separate from the public world. So, you know, patient gets discharged from hospital, then they go, they have their favorite physio clinic they've been to before, they call them up, they, um, they you know, set up an appointment, there's no real communication. Maybe the physio sends a note with the patient that goes back to the orthopedic surgeon if it was a surgery. Maybe the physio connects occasionally with a physician around an issue they're seeing with, with a client. The future is we need to be much better integrated. The whole direction, and, and, you know, and if I look at... Um, 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 Michael Porter, who I mentioned, is, is one of the, and I'm sure we will talk about this later, but Michael Porter has done some work around production for value for, 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 for healthcare. When he talks about an integrated healthcare system, it really is the different pieces need to be able to speak one to another. And even when you look at the, in the public sector, looking at the public, the public home care sector versus public hospital sector, you don't communicate. There is, there is such a lack of communication and such a separation in terms of what we do that we can't measure the overall outcome for a client or patient in terms of their illness. The only way that the feeling is, and we're seeing this directional move here in Ontario, 
um, around global funding, paying for an episode of care, which you see with workers' compensation, um, but where you're paying for a lump sum for a diagnosis or an injury, and every touch point, every person who's providing care is getting compensated out of that out of that bundle means that there needs to be much better communication going on between the different players. And what we've never measured, I've done a great job at measuring, is I am patient A, I walk into hospital, I have procedure X, Y, and Z done. Okay, what was the outcome at the end of my hospital stay? Then I've gone into home care. What was my outcome at the end of home care? Okay, then I was discharged from home care to an outpatient clinic. Um, and what was my outcome at the end of the outpatient clinic? But we don't we don't know what was the outcome from stage one going into hospital to the end of that outpatient clinic. And a big priority is we need to be the ability to communicate the outcomes, common measuring tools to be able to look at what was the overall outcome and then the overall value um, added of having certain people provide certain care um, in the end for that patient or client. And so that's a really big piece and a big piece for us as, as, as physios is that we need, we're going to need to prove that what we do adds value. We know, we know it, we know it in our heart. We, we've seen the amazing improvements that some of our, our patients have achieved as a result of physio. Um, and so we know physio is so beneficial. We don't always have that data to back it up. We don't always have the data to back up. But if you didn't include physio, this would have been the length of trajectory of need for care versus if you did include physio. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be we're gonna, we're going to be asked constantly challenged to prove that we have value for, for you know for the overall cost. That we are a, a, an integral piece of that healthcare puzzle for certain ailments, maybe for all ailments, for people to be able to stay at home and live at, live at home versus being in a more expensive long-term care environment. And it's gonna take a, a greater appreciation of the need to track data from every part of the healthcare sector. So from private to public and along the trajectory of a patient. So that's, that is a really, really big piece. And I think that everybody, every clinician, should be almost evaluating themselves whereby, so so say I'm an, a patient orthopedic um, physio, that mm-hmm. every patient I see, I am keeping some kind of log of where my patient was at the beginning, where they were at the end, how many visits it take me to get, to get me there, and let that drive my own clinical practice to some degree, that if I see that I've done X, Y, and Z, and that has this kind of benefit versus you know, doing something different with another patient, but the, but the outcome wasn't the same, but that helps drive me as an individual. As a clinic, a clinic needs to be tracking data, and as a sector, we need to be tracking these outcomes. The challenge we have to date is that a lot of the outcomes that we talk about are situations where there weren't enough resources or weren't proper resources provided. In the home care sector, whenever there's a financial constraint, they slash rehab, they slash physio visits, they slash, they continue sending in personal support workers to help do the daily living kind of stuff, but the whole kind of 
progressing to independence of a patient, so they don't need that anymore, they forego. And so when they look at the data in terms of, oh, stroke patients only need three physio visits. Well, no, <laughs> you've only given them three physio visits. They needed 15 physio visits if you want to truly discharge them to greater outcomes. So we don't have a lot of that data yet. And that's going to be a really, really important piece over the next little while. Right. Um, and another really big um, thing for physios is going to be, and, and this is across all of healthcare, but I think we don't do it as much in physio. We need to really capture that patient voice. We, like, so we're, we're in a time where our healthcare administration rely heavily on the patient voice. As an organization, VHA, we have a client and caregiver advisory council. So now when I interview, so I just, I'm in the midst of hiring a manager, for example. So in my manager interviews, um, I have a caregiver, uh, a client who we either um, were treating in the past or, or are currently treating as part of my interview panel. So having the, 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 um, the ideas and thoughts of the patients that we see um, at the table is going to be really, really important. And the voice that the ministry is going to listen to isn't that patient voice. The strength they have as a patient group is unbelievable. Um, so we need, we know we do some great stuff and we need to have some of our, our patients to be our cheerleaders at great successes as a result of having physio involvement. Um, the challenge from a physio perspective and in no way to say anything um, against our college, but, 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 but some of the recent rules in our college around advertising um, and putting, you know, comments from, 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 from patients and along those lines, create mm -hmm. a little bit of a challenge, unfortunately. And um, it doesn't necessarily stop us from utilizing patients to help drive quality within our organizations or to be cheerleaders for us at ministry level positions, but they can't be the cheerleader to the public in the same way for, for an individual organization. It can be for a like physio as a profession, it can't necessarily be for any one person's organization. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think the patient, um, the patient voice piece is going to drive changes in, 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 in the next few years. And I, you know, when we speak to patients about physio and home care, what we often hear is not enough. I wanted more. They were fantastic, but, but it ended too soon. That is important messaging um, from a patient perspective that they feel they could have done better if they had more visits. And the reason they have, didn't have as many visits is because the funding wasn't there. So for the funding to kind of, to kind of be there, we, we truly need um, to have that patient voice. I, I think, and I think another big area is going to be, um, oh, there's, there's a few, <laughs> but, but, but one more I'll pick is yeah. going to be around our scope of practice. And, you know, I, I think that in the next 10 years, we are going to see changes in the scope of practice for physicians. Physicians are well situated for several different roles in the healthcare sector. Mm -hmm. We see in primary health, um, we see, you know, um, clinics where, uh, Clients are not seeing the physician are going directly to physio, and the data is showing great cost savings as a result. You know, the day that we're able to provide, so I spoke to someone this morning, for example, with a knee injury, who 
is going to see his doctor to get a prescription for physio because the insurance carrier requires a prescription to pay for physio. That is a complete waste of dollars in a overall healthcare bundle where physios are well positioned to make that assessment. Physios should be able to send their clients for x-ray and, and we're really hoping that in the next several months we're going to see that happen here in Ontario. It's happening elsewhere but we're hopeful we'll see it here in Ontario. Um, and so as our scope expands, we need to have people ready and willing to step up to the plate to do it. So uh, we need to make sure people are trained. Like we have in our scope the whole wound care piece, and we haven't had as much uptake into physios wanting to do the wound care piece. Um, but as we get these increases in our scope, we need to have the people, the bodies, <laughs> the interest to actually do them. So, so this, that will be, because um, I, I do see a day where, you know, <laughs> where, where, you know, often we see physios approaching medical clinics, you know, keeping, you know, here's my card, if you need physio, send someone over. But, you know, I start seeing the opposite as well. <laughs> approaching us as physio clinic owners or company owners, things along those lines, because they're going to, um, because we're going to be the first access for many clients for different conditions. Different, different so we need to be prepared and ready for it. And you know, I know we have a we have a strong association pushing for a lot of that including our members to show that they have the strength to be able to do it as well. Yeah. Uh you, you made a lot of great points in terms of some of the things that are needing to change at least within the next ten years. And I think that at least for you know some of the earlier points you made about the integration the communication within the team i think the uh, electronic charting the movement to more people kind of adopting this style of charting has been a little bit helpful at least from a student well not anymore but <laughs> from a <laughs> student perspective um <laughs> the, when we did placements you know we got both uh you know we were exposed to both paper charting and electronic charting and I found that I was a lot more efficient with uh, electronic charting and I could read, you know, I'd have extra time instead of trying to decipher all the words <laughs> on the paper charts. <laughs> I yeah. would uh, have much more time left over after the chart review to actually do go even further and, you know, look, uh, look at the chart way more in depth that I could have within the time frame for like reading within just paper charting. Right. And right. that's an important piece in terms of the integration and the communication, especially when I worked in a hospital and one of them did have electronic charting. It was really easy to see what like eight different professions did with the same individual. Um, and I could see what they went through the morning of so that when I go in, I have an idea of, you know, they've already done like four different things. And so they might be tired or they might, you know, they might be irritated or whatever it is. Um, just kind of gives you a better idea of what that person went through as well. And that can influence the care, I think a lot better. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of the electronic charting if that didn't come out already. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and I agree. We, we, we cannot make a move in my opinion to a higher level of healthcare, you know, across the sector until we have some common tool for electronic medical record. So something that maybe, you know, not everyone has that same tool, but your tool is going to feed into that tool. Um, yeah. And as somebody, I, when, I, when I left Kaiser, we were on electronic medical record within, within Kaiser Permanente in Northern California. 
Yeah. Um, it was it was it was an arduous task <laughs> to get there, but yeah. how amazing it was to be able to have a patient walk into your room for the first time and go, oh hi, yeah, nice to meet. I see that you saw so-and-so two days ago and did he explain this to you perfect let's pull up your x-ray and i can show you on your x-ray what's going on and let's feel it, it allowed this complete care like patients hate having to repeat things over and over and over and over again each person they hear, each person they see you're going to have that full uh, that full uh, um, record in, in front of you that allows you to provide the best care. So if you're a physio in a clinic and you're able to tap into whatever the system is and put your information back into that system, mm -hmm. um, the communication is going to allow for so much more seamlessness that, that we're not currently seeing. Mm -hmm. that, that's the dream, right? I mean, <laughs> that's yeah. what I always envision as like the perfect... Uh, team and like care care team working towards helping a patient get better. Exactly. Uh, envision everyone being fully up to date with each other at every moment, just because right. it's electronic, it's instant. You don't have to wait for someone to take the chart. I've had I've had times in clinics where I was writing in the chart, but someone else needed it, so my note was you know half done, and I had to go back <laughs> again. So <laughs> I, yeah. I've just never been a huge fan of the paper charts. Uh, I think that. This is a good shift. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm looking forward to a hundred percent of clinics and hospitals and every institution adopting electronic charting. Obviously, you know there are issues of making sure everything's in a confidential location. Um, you know, the, the people. It's a lot easier to hack online things yes. um, than you know paper charts. Which, but again, you, there's always the risk of someone breaking in. But not that that happens yeah. often. Maybe maybe I don't see it, but. Um, but again, like I think that overall it'll help be very helpful once the entire industry kind of shifts shifts towards that, um, especially with the public sector because in the hospitals you do work with massive teams, right? And yeah. like, you know, yeah. And in terms of you know we because we're kind of we've always looked at the public side and the private side. You know, we've you know from PT Business Corner's perspective, we've also been looking into just the business education and in the public and versus private sector um, and see how they're incorporated into each um, sector, right? And I wanted to maybe ask you, since you've had some exposure, you've had a, you know amazing journey so far, I wanted to get your perspective on how important you think business education um, is in, public, in the public sector and how you think we can actually incorporate this education into this sector, uh, maybe like in the next week, like what's one tip you might have? Okay, well, so, so I do think, I think, I think it's so important. I think it's so important for physios. And I think it's great. So at U of T, <laughs> there's a business practice management stream, even though it's small, um, it's more than a lot of other schools have. <laughs> um, and I think it is a really important piece. And it's a really important piece in the public sector in a different way than in the private. Obviously, private, you're running a business and things along those lines. In the public, though, you are running your practice in a different way. So in the olden days when physios worked in physio departments with a physio manager and a physio lead and a physio practice lead and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, you really just went out and you practiced. In today's day in the public sector, you are a physio practicing in a care model where your manager is a nurse and your professional practice lead is a social worker. Mm -hmm. And so you need something 
for, for your practice as a physio, you need to know how to make a business case around it. You yeah. need to know how to show the benefits that you're going to achieve for the patients by something. It could be as small as, we need to purchase this device. This device has been shown um, research to do this, this, this. I'll be able to treat clients this way. It will save us this much money. You need to be able to look at it that way. Even in the public sector, many people still work as independent contractors. How do you run your business as an independent contractor? At VHA, our physios are independent contractors. They are running their business. Many of our physios, this is one of a couple jobs. So from, I'd say, depending on what region of the province you're in, whether or not you are like solely getting all of your money through working at VHA or whether or not you might do part clinic, part home care. And it's a great way to have a bit of a balance as well. How do you run your business? I find that people who don't know how to run themselves as a business um, end up not lasting very well in an independent contractor model. And I know that in some areas of public sector, you're an employee, so you're in a hospital. For the most part, you're an employee, you're getting paid per hour, things along those lines. There's, there's a little bit of a, of a shift that way. And, and uh, you know, especially for those who are newer in practice, it's hard to get sometimes a full-time hospital position. So you might be working part in a clinic or part in a, a home care organization. And how are you balancing those two pieces? So, so I think there's two things. One, you as the physio, making sure you are running your business practice work that in a way that, 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 you, that you want to. And then that takes a business mindset to do, to, to do it well. But I also, from you as a staff member in an environment where you're working in a team, where you're the only physio, you need to be able to think because the reality is healthcare is a business and we love to think of the altruistic aspects of healthcare and many of us go into healthcare with, you know, nothing makes us feel better than creating this great improvement in a patient's life. But the reality is, it still is a business, there's still dollars affixed to it, and there's still a stressor around value for outcome that, 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 that still exists that you need to have the mindset around. Yeah, exactly. And you brought up a lot of uh, great points that physio is a business and physiotherapists all should be running themselves as a business because unfortunately we have a scarcity of resources and um, we all need to integrate into this whole stream from a public sector into the public sector uh, with the mind that we have to set priorities for our patients for them to get to where they want to be in the fastest amount of time possible. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the only thing is we, uh, we have kind of experienced and talked to a good amount of people and there is sometimes a perception that business and physio might be viewed negatively as in money is a dirty concept and uh, we shouldn't be, uh, we should be doing as much as we can for patients um, without having the money in mind. But what we think is the reality of the situation is unfortunately we do have to uh, provide the patient care in the best way possible for the patient, but at the same time, keeping the, <laughs> the money aspect of it in mind as well. So, do you think business and physio is viewed negatively? And uh, if so, how can we make uh, how can we make the shift uh, regarding that? Yeah, and I do think I do think the old way of thinking is really that 
we don't care about money. We're physios. We want to save the world. And it's a great way. And I, and I tell you, there's nothing great. I can still think of, like, well, I think of my greatest achievements as a physio. It's never been the, because of I got this increase in my salary. <laughs> That's the reason. It, it has often been this patient who I saw this amazing recovery of the work I did with this, this patient and their family and their care. Like, like that's when I think of the highlights for me a, 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 as a physio. That to me though, doesn't negate the fact that, that one, as a physio, I need to make a living <laughs> and, it, and it is a business and I need to do all of those aspects. And they're not mutually exclusive in my opinion. Like, so, you know, you, it, it is a reality that services, a certain dollar affixed to certain services. We are like, I, I like to think of physios as the MacGyvers of, of, of healthcare in terms of our ability to take something small and put something big out of it. And people may come to your door not having fully the dollars to be able to pay for maybe the amount of physio you want to provide for them. But there's different ways of doing it, there's different ways that we can provide something for everyone. And maybe it's true, somebody with more money might get more and might get better faster as a result. And that is an unfortunate reality of a system that is driven by dollars, no matter mm -hmm. if it's public or private. But I think as physios, we're able to well provide care that is beneficial for anyone, depending on, the, the, you know, not dependent on, on, uh, on that dollar piece. Yeah, I, I do think that for anyone who uh, who truly feels that you should never mix money with the provision of care, I don't know where they're going to work because you're working in a hospital. The reality is that your job is based on how many people you're seeing and are you providing outcomes. And if you're not, so that they can prove that there is a value to your dollar cost, then you're out. So, 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 so the reality is that 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 we cannot exclude one from the other. So, great care doesn't mean you can't have money. And you know, we look at some of our our I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say partners. You know, I know this kind of negative chiropractors, very business minded, very you know dollar 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 centric. Um, that doesn't mean that as physios that we can't keep in mind the dollar piece, but we typically have moved more, moved away from ongoing care and looked at, looked at people achieving a degree of independence and we discharge them and along those lines, but that but still having money coming in with that care that we're providing. So 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 I do think that that there has been that feeling. I, I see it shifting. I yes. see it shifting away little by little by little. And I think that um, we have to get comfortable with the fact that um, that's the reality of healthcare. Yeah, it's, I definitely definitely agree with that as well. And you know, it's it's hard to get again. <laughs> I use like a, a funny example, like we're not trading beans and and cap yeah. like the good old days. Exactly. There's money being exchanged. There's resources that needs to be uh, managed, and you know, it is. Um, I think that sometimes when we do say business, we only think about only money but there's also like team management resource management all these are a part of the business as well which you know these are very very important pieces within the public sector 
um, especially yeah. because you have large teams, right? And then you have these massive stakeholders in, in the hospitals. You have um, all these um, funders coming in, giving you like tens of thousands of dollars and you have to, you know, use them appropriately. So I think the public sector does definitely need it. We, we've spoken to individual, individuals and they've had a similar viewpoint as you as well. Um, and it's good that kind of we're seeing this shift in mentality a little bit. Um, it's definitely important. I think that's still a bit misunderstood, but I th- hopefully we can help <laughs> yeah <laughs> more light to this uh, to this topic. Um, and, and, and another reason why I think having a bit of a business aspect to the curriculum yeah. <laughs> for our students coming out, I think I think is important. I think people need to come out of school with the thought. You know, I do. So when I was in PD school, there's a there's a private practice. Um, um, elective you, you, you could take mm-hmm. by Mary Soriel. Um, and um, um, that was, if, you, if you didn't take that, you had not one ounce of business anything <laughs> throughout the entire program. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I do think it's really important that people come out with a little bit of a mindset, even in terms of, like, I, I, I talk to people around as a student as well as a new grad, the importance as an advocate for the profession and, and oh, how you're an advocate, especially the integrated team, is your performance. Mm-hmm, so your performance and your knowledge is a really important piece of how you advocate for the profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, being in a integrated team environment where you're able to talk dollars and cents and an understanding of the realities of dollars and cents and the business model um, shows that you're a viable, important part of that team. Those people who sit in those meetings with, um, with, 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 with the, you know, those colored glasses and not an understanding of their role and their role in the overall big dollar bundle, um, won't get the same degree of respect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely agree. And, you know, hopefully that the more, more we do these podcasts and the more that we go into the future, this becomes a little bit of a bigger topic. Um, and you know, with with in terms of improving business uh, acumen and improving business education, you know, the school's been providing a lot of tools, uh, and then the rest we've left it up to books a little bit to also help us uh, mm-hmm. to improve our business acumen. And we wanted to essentially ask you if you recommend a book um, that you've used uh, in the past that was essential in improving your business acumen or learning more about the business side uh, uh, things. Yeah, so I so definitely you know the the one book that I definitely one book that I, I that I've liked especially from a, a public sector from a kind of big overarching healthcare sector kind of kind of realm it is Michael Porter's uh, redefining healthcare. Um, oh, interesting. And, you know, and Michael Porter has been involved in in you know lots of you know uh, talk around around business models, not necessarily from a healthcare um, perspective. Mm-hmm. But looking at you know how you look at you know you know threats to your business and bargaining and you know um, what it looks like when you have new people entering the marketplace things along those lines mm-hmm. a very different um, well I feel uh, it's a bit of a different approach as he looks at at healthcare and if you look at how we are evolving healthcare right now in Ontario it is very much to the quarter model <laughs> so so. If someone wants to stay in Ontario, I do think that for redefining healthcare and is looking at creating value-based competition 
based on results, um, is, is, is kind of a good book to get a sense of what's going on. Um, so, so, I, so I do think, I do think that, that is an important one. Um, you know, in my opinion, no one book is the, is the end-all and be-all. Yeah. I do think right now in Ontario, I think that's a really good one. You know, I, I've also <laughs> more recently, um, <laughs> you know, been enjoying the art of war <laughs> and applying the art of war to a business perspective. Um, and it's things, you know, in terms of how I work as a business leader, in terms of like some of the principles around leading by example, um, leading in yourself, being prepared, you know, a mindset of, um, you know, how you look at your your business competitor, sometimes even your business colleague, but your business competitor, and how you're prepared for things that could happen. Um, you know, it, 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 it's a really interesting, I, I just love the thought that this book written, you know, so long ago has such applications to some aspects of the world today. Um, but um, I know of recent it's been looked at quite a bit in terms of kind of providing advice on leadership. So those are probably the two things that, that, I, that, that I've quite enjoyed presently or currently or more recently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we will definitely have to give those two books a read because uh, they come from a different perspective. One uh, stood the test of time and the other one is very <laughs> applicable. Uh, yes. <laughs> business in the uh, public sector as yeah. well, which is amazing. Yeah. And, and, and I'd even say with Porter's book, even though I, I do say the public sector, but, but, but it does really, he does talk about, one, the, the importance of the electronic health record, for example, to improve you know, communication, and the mm-hmm. importance that each different group or sector um, um, is able to communicate and share information and, 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 and review outcomes across each of them. So it really does, like, I do think that, in 10 years, the public player has to know how to work with the hospitals. And, mm-hmm. um, and if not, it could, it could have impact on those private clinics that are out there if they're not able to work well with the hospital sector. And so it probably would behoove any, um, any private clinic to be kind of aware of what's kind of happening from the, the ministry <laughs> Um, public sector side, so I do see in the future there could be impacts from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're definitely correct in saying that we got to integrate to get the best outcomes for our patients, and uh, that's where we should be moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Courtney, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. We really had a lot of fun uh, listening to your opinions on some of the topics we've asked you about. And um, we were just wondering, where can we find you on social media, you or VHA? Yeah, so 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 myself, I don't have a big social presence. <laughs> Only on Instagram at ccbean6. But BHA is like um, BHA has. Uh, if you go on the www.bha.ca website, it will have the link to our Facebook page um, and our Instagram. And actually, we have a YouTube channel. And there's some. I I, I really. Um, like when people look at the BHA Home Healthcare YouTube channel. Really great patient, patient examples and patient stories. That, um, especially if there's an interest in the home care realm, there are some really, really great stories of some great either client, caregiver, family struggles and achievements, as well as as an organization, some of what we provide that's been excellent, as well as recognition of some of the great frontline clinicians that we have um, that are showcased through the YouTube channel. 
That's awesome. <laughs> Did you make an appearance yourself? No, I'm not on them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not yet, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe in the next, after this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and I also, I would highly recommend the OPA website as well. Yeah, yeah. Because it, you know, whenever I, especially at the high school level and trying to encourage people to consider it as a profession, there are some great videos around the role of physio in different sectors mm-hmm. that I absolutely love how they're portrayed. And, and not just because I'm in one of their commercials do I like them so much, but, 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 <laughs> but, 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 but they are really, really well done commercials to showcase benefit, scope of, 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 of physio, things along those lines. I, I always say to people, like, you know, if, if people are asking, what do you do? Or what's a physio? <laughs> Direct them to watch some of those videos because they really do help kind of clarify what some of the role is. So, mm-hmm. Exactly. But yeah, thank you for the great podcast and um, we hope to keep in touch in the future. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank, thank you both as well. This is great. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you everyone for tuning in to the PTBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. Please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at our website, ptbusinesscorner.com. Feel free to send us a message on social media or email us at info at ptbusinesscorner.com. See you next time.